please turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. And uh, we're going to follow along on a certain topic. The topic is faith. Uh, last week we talked about uh, basic faith, some different aspects of basic faith. Now that we're a member of the church, we need to plug into the local church. But today we're going to talk about the faith of Abraham and see how some of his qualities can kind of transfer into our lives and what we can learn from, from uh, our father Abraham. So Genesis chapter 12, uh, the Lord uh, speaks to Abram and he says this, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house. Go to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Father, we pray now your blessing over this message. <clears throat> Lord, thank you that my voice is back. I feel strong right now. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you for the early service, Lord. Thank you for this service. May your anointing be upon this word, Lord. May this word, uh, may this word um, change our lives, change our focus, and let it be something that we never forget, Lord. Let it be that strong of a message from your word to our hearts that you have something for us. We just have to grasp, grasp it and hang on to it and run with it as you lead us along the way. So Lord, help me to preach it the way you want. Let it fall upon ears that want to hear. And Lord, in all things, we pray that you would be glorified in your church, your body would be edified today. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So I want to talk about Abraham this morning. Many of you probably know some things about Abraham. Uh, he was the husband of Sarah. He was the father of Isaac. He was the grandfather of Jacob. He was the great-grandfather of Jacob's 12 sons. He's called the father of our faith. Abraham was pre-Moses, or pre-law. But he's mentioned in the New Testament as an example to follow as post-law. Romans 1.17, Paul says something very, very, uh, very profound. He says, the just shall live by faith. And by saying that scripture, he's capsulizing basically Abraham's life. That he's not living under the law, he's not following the law, the law wasn't even given yet. So we have a similarity with Abraham, and that he was before the law, we're after the law, but his righteousness was declared to him, not by the law, and not by his works but by his faith in God. So as we look at the bigger picture, Noah believed God regarding the coming flood. Uh, Moses believed God regarding God's deliverance of the people of Israel. And Abraham believed God that through him, God would create his own people. This is, this is, this is astounding. And through Abraham would come, in his old age, would come a son. And through that son would come the law the prophets, and eventually the Messiah. And that son who would be offered up as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah, Abraham believed that God would somehow either deliver him or resurrect him from the grave. So Abraham's righteousness is given to him not by his keeping the law, because there was no law. That's why I make a connection with Abraham. You know, in between was the law, but he represents all those before Moses and really, he represents all of us after Moses, because we don't have the law either. Thank the Lord for that. 
I'm glad I wasn't born under the law. I think it would have been stoned years ago, or whatever. But uh, we're living in an age of grace, hallelujah. This is wonderful. So, uh, Abraham is a type of New Testament believer. And uh, so I want to draw some, some, some parallels from his life. Now, Matthew lists Abraham in the genealogy of Jesus. He traces it back. Luke does the same thing, but he traces it back to Abraham, then goes all the way back to Adam. So if you put all that together, you have a picture that looks like this. There's Adam, who had sons and daughters, but there's one son named Seth. And through Seth came Noah, and through Noah came one of his sons, Shem, from which Abraham came. And from Abraham came David, or Judah, and then David, and then through David's line came the Messiah. In fact, the New Testament says that we are grafted into the family of Abraham. We're grafted into that line, that genealogy of Abraham, through the blood of Jesus. So the first mention of Abraham is actually in the previous chapter. So if you have your Bible, just look a little bit quickly. Chapter 11, verse number 10, uh, where we read the genealogy of Shem. Now, Shem is one of the sons of Noah. He had three sons. But Shem was one of the sons. There's a lot of beginning going on between verses 10 and 26. We begot who? And he begot somebody, and somebody else begot somebody else. Those are genealogies. These are no families. But down in uh, verse 24, Nahor begot Terah. Terah begot, uh, verse 26, Abram, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. So Terah was the father of Abram or Abraham. Then we, we read in verse number uh, 30, uh, 29 that Abram or Abraham had a wife. Her name was Sarai or Sarah. And verse 31 says that they lived in the land of Ur, of the land of the Chaldeans. And for the very first time in chapter 12, the very first time, we see that God is pulling aside people to be His. Up until this time, there was people who believed there was a line, but, but there wasn't a distinct people that were called the people of God. So in verse number 1 of chapter 12, the very first thing He says to Abraham, I find it so, so like God. He says, get out of your country. Get out of your family. Get out of your father's house. And that's not a wake up call. Nothing is. So, <clears throat> so he says, get out. And, uh, to paraphrase that, I'm coming into your life, Abraham. And I'm going to change everything in your life. But you got to be willing to follow me 100%. In verses 2 and 3, I'll give you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll, I'll make your name great. Didn't someone mention that earlier? That, that we have a name, and our name should not be one of embarrassment, or our name should be out there publicly as, a, as representing a child of God. So I mean, you'll have a new name. Uh, um, I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. But verse number 1, Abraham, if you don't leave country, if you don't leave family, if you don't leave your father's house, you'll never see what I want to do in your life. So God is speaking here. Separate me. Separate yourself unto me. He's saying, consecrate yourself. Now, let me clarify this. Does this mean that the Lord is saying, hate your country, hate your family, hate your father? No. Because there's ample scripture that says to do those things. 
But you can't deny that in chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord is saying to, to Abram, get out of your country. There's got to be a change in your thought process of who you belong to. You no longer belong to your country and your family, you belong to me. And so this is the beginning of a very important doctrine. We call it the doctrine of election. And you can't deny that God chose Abraham. Out of the blue, he chose him to be the father of a new generation of people that would usher in the law, the prophets, and the Messiah. So this is where we get the idea of the chosen people. They were chosen by God. Absolutely. Why did he pick them? God only knows why he picked them. But he picked Abraham and his descendants to be the, the family, the, the, uh, the, the, the genealogy that would bring forth the Messiah. So now we think about the New Testament here. And I've always wondered about this, but here's the thing. In the New Testament, you know, God has spoken to us as well. And in John 3.16, he says, Whosoever would believe in him, the gospel of the world, that whosoever would believe in him uh, would not perish, but would have everlasting life. So, so the chosen now is not only the people of Israel, the chosen is whosoever will. So when you're reading the Bible, and I was confused about this for some time, when Paul would write about the elect of God, or the chosen of God, here's the way I, I look at that. It's like, it's like the church is more or less like, like Noah's Ark. If you're in the boat, you're safe. If you're in the church, not this, I mean in the bigger church, you're, you're safe. You're saved if you're in the church, if you belong to Christ. And if you belong to Christ, I mean in the, in the ark or in the church, you are the elect of God. Here's the thing. Everyone has the opportunity to become the elect of God. We're all chosen at this point. But it's up to us to make that decision, yes, Lord. But if we say, yes, Lord, guess what? Paul makes it very clear, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He says very clearly, he's quoting from different scriptures from the Old Testament, but he's writing to the church. If you say yes to the Lord, if you're in the ark of God, if you're in the church, come out from among them, he says. Does it sound similar to what the Lord told Moses? Get out of your country. Get out of your family. Get out of your father's house. Paul says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I'll be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord. So the same principle applies, except now the chosen are whosoever will. So you can say, you receive Christ, you're one of the whosoever's. You're one of the chosen ones. But we're all chosen, but we said yes to it. So we're now the elect of God. So, that made me think about things. So, so Genesis 12, 1, the Lord breaks in, speaks to Abraham. And I think, well, how does the Lord speak to the world today? He could do that. He could use the Holy Spirit. He could use the gifts like this morning. There was a gift of tongues and interpretation. That was a word from God. That was a great word from God. So why are you struggling? I have, I can send you free. That's a great word. God spoke to us. But in a bigger picture, God uses his church to speak to the world around us. Matthew 28, Mark 16, and other passages go into all the world and preach and teach, baptize, and, and you know, let everybody know what, what, I, what I've taught you. So he uses the church to be his voice to the world around us. Romans 1.17, we looked at this on Wednesday night as we're starting our study in Romans. 
But Romans 1, 17, write it down. In the gospel, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So when you proclaim Christ, however you proclaim it, you live it, you demonstrate it, you live it out in real life, you talk about it, you're proclaiming the righteousness of God. And so yeah, people around us hear it, they see it, hopefully they, they receive it and they take it in. But lives are changed. But right at that moment, Genesis 12.1 and 2 Corinthians 6.17 have to come into play. Get out. Separate. Consecrate yourself. So, to paraphrase all that, yes, we believe, but the just will live by faith. And we won't live our lives the way we used to. Can I get an amen? So, let me just put it this way. So he says, get out of your country. Okay, so let's kind of be a little bit creative with this. Get out of your country. In other words, get out of the, the sin mentality. Get out of the pride mentality. Get out of the rebellion mentality. Get out of the self and self-gratification mentality. Get out of the me first mentality. Get out of that country. You don't belong in that country any longer. Uh, leave your family. Leave your the traditions of your family. Let's say like this. The tradition of religion with no power. Or a form of godliness that has no power. Uh, the tradition of maybe one-upping somebody else. Or the tradition of backstabbing somebody. Or, or disloyalty to a family member. Or jealousy or anger within a family. Leave that whole thing behind. And, and get involved with a new family. And leave your father's house. Where there might be attitudes of worldliness and pride and hurt or pain or corruption and greed and, and begin to get involved in the Father's house. The Heavenly Father's house. So we begin living by faith. We, we can't live the old way and live the new way at the same time. You hear me, brother? You can't, you can't have both feet in two different worlds. It's, you'll, you'll enjoy neither one of them. It'll be miserable. You know, it'll be neither hot or cold. You know, either be hot or cold is what the word says. But if, if we give it all to God, you know, if we give it all, if we live by faith, there's a whole new thing in store for us. And this is what I want to talk about today. So Genesis 12, <clears throat> verse 2 says, I'll make you a great nation, I'll make all things new, I'll give you a new country, a new family, a new house, I'll bless you, I'll give you a new name, that through you all the world will be blessed. In, in verse 4, Abram did it. He did it. He left his country and his family and his father's house. And he, Hebrews tells us he didn't even know where he was going yet. He just started to move. That's pretty interesting. Reminds me of my life, actually, to a degree. When, when Ken and I first got saved many years ago, um, I felt an inclination to move from New York to North Carolina to go back to college. We didn't even have a place to live when we moved down there. But it was by faith. I didn't know what in the world I was doing, to tell you the truth. But I, I, I felt like I had to get out of New York. I had to go back to school. And, and by golly, I got a wife now, and we're going to North Carolina. And we did. But looking back on it, I'm thinking, man, I, was, I didn't have a lot of faith, or I was crazy doing that. But what we did, we stepped out, and we did something radical. Our families back home were scratching their heads, saying, what's he up to now? But I was living by faith. I felt like I had to get out of there to get my head together and go back to college. And thank the Lord it all worked out good. So, verse 4, Abraham, Abraham did it. He, he did it. His life was never the same. 
He never looked back. The same principle is true with our lives. When we totally surrender to God, I mean give it up for God. You know, there, there's degrees of giving it up. You know that, right? I mean, my life is, I, I gave it up once, but not all of it. I gave it up again, and uh, maybe a little bit more. Then I gave it up again the third time, and but I didn't give it all up. But the fourth time, man, I was ready to give it all up, because I was done. I had it. And when I gave it all up, when I gave it all up, that's when God began to move in my life. The same with every one of us. He'll wait. He'll wait. Or he'll make things worse for you, like he did for me. Like, like I should have got saved five years earlier than when I got saved. But I was stubborn and I didn't yield. And my life got progressively worse. And finally, I was at the point where I said, okay, God, you got me. I give it all to you. So Abraham's life, anyway, was, was complex, detailed. Um, uh, he had a long life. It was filled with a lot of exciting adventures. So I want to look at three different aspects of his life and, and try to try to learn from this example. So the first thing is this, okay, the faith of Abraham. How this applies to our lives. First of all, he left his history behind. He left his history behind. Now if you if you get into it, the land of Ur, the, the Chaldeans, these were not a godly people. <coughs> They didn't know God, they didn't believe God. Uh, they believed in stars, they worshipped the moon. Uh, they were humanists, or human, uh, they believed in humanism. But God called them out of that, out of the blue, to turn to the living and true God. And he basically said, Abraham, follow me. I'm going to turn the tide of your life. I'm going to change the course of your history. I'm going to create a new thing in you. And so it was, again, Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith. And Abraham took it all. He didn't go back to what he knew in his history, in the history of his life. He started a whole new life. Can anyone relate? Amen. And this is radical. Maybe our lives are not so radical. Maybe we weren't brought up in a heathen home or whatever. But wherever we, whenever we come to the Lord, there's got to be a dividing line. We bring our history to it, but we can't be bound by our history. Amen. Abraham was not bound by where he came from. And I thought about this, like, on New Year's Eve, I shared a short devotional from Isaiah 43. Behold, I will do a new thing. Right, now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? You know, I'll make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. And I find that God is constantly wanting to do a new thing. And we can't be bound, and we can't bind Him by our history, or by the history of how He's done things before. Because He always wants to do a new thing. And I thought about this, and I thought, you know, some of us might have a good history, some of us might have a bad history. If we have a good history, in other words, a good family, a good education, um, you know, good relationships, that's wonderful. But don't don't think that that's the end of the story for you. I, I found people with, with a good history are in a really good position to trust God for more. Because they don't have basically trust issues. They have all that already. And so they come to God, and they're basically stable, and now they're trusting God for more in their lives. I like that, you know, with, with a good history. But if you have a bad history, and some of us, let's face it, have a bad history. In other words, we've been in trouble, our families have been not the best. Uh, but, but if we come from a bad history, we can relate to the, the greater picture that the world is so fallen. And God wants to 
take us that have been fallen and hurt by the world or, or affected by the world and empower us and turn us around to go back into the world to make a difference there. Amen. So whether you have a good history or a bad history, it doesn't matter. Because God will use us either way we look at it. I think about Paul's life. And Paul, you could say Paul had a good history in the sense that in Philippians it says he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was educated. He was a Pharisee. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised on the eighth day, etc. He was zealous. And it says he, all that he had for gain, he gave it up as loss. He could pursue God. But you know what? He gave all that up. But God used all of that in his life and in his ministry. This history was not binding him. He used it to further the cause of Christ. I think also, you can say Paul had a bad history. He persecuted the church. How do I have that hanging over your head? You know, I can't go forward. I can't minister to the church. I used to put them in prison and kill members of the church. But Paul was able to receive the grace he needed to step out and continue to minister to the church. I think about Peter. Peter also, I would say, didn't have the greatest history. I mean, we know from the Gospels and some of the epistles, uh, he was poor, he was uneducated, he was a fisherman. He was quick to talk out of line, quick to get angry or whatever. But man, Jesus said to him, Peter, you have the kind of faith in which I can build my church. Upon this rock, your faith, I will build my church. So whether your history is good or bad is irrelevant, really. It is what it is. But whatever it is, you can't limit God by using it. I mean, in my life, I've got a good history and I've got a bad history. I've got both. But I don't want to limit God by, by my history. I want to write a new history. As a matter of fact. I feel like I have been. And I want to write more of a new history as I progress. First Peter 1, uh, Peter said this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy, abundant mercy, not just mercy, abundant mercy, He has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. We've got abundant mercy. We've got a living hope. How can we limit ourselves in what God wants to do for us and through us? How can we limit God by saying, Oh God, you, you can't do anything with me because of this, this, this. No, we have an abundant mercy. We have a living hope within us because Jesus is alive within us. Amen. So the point is this. Let's surrender everything to the Lord. Amen. He says to Abraham, get out. Get out. You have to ask yourself and ask the Lord, what does God want you to get out of? I ask that all the time with God. Lord, what do you want me to not do? What do you want me to do? What should I get out of? Where should I put my time and my energy? And so the same thing, the Lord is speaking to us. Surrender it all. Don't limit ourselves. Don't limit God. Abraham was a heathen called by God out of the blue to create a whole new body of people that would bring forth the Messiah. That is an awesome thing. And so when we come to God, we have the same principle at work in us, that God wants to turn the tide of our families and our situation, and we are now the vessel He would use to bring Christ into that equation. Don't limit God because of your history. Number two is this, from the faith of Abraham. Abraham, as wonderful as he was, and we'll look at a few scriptures. As legendary as he is, he's a legend. He had his shortcomings. I find every great man in the Bible, every great woman in the Bible, except for Jesus, has shortcomings. They've had failures. 
Every one of them. The beauty of the story of the Word of God is that God uses us in spite of our failures. So you can take, you know, you can take David. You know, David's called, he's a, a man after God's own heart. Really? He committed adultery, had somebody murdered, and got angry. And, and disobeyed God. But he was a man after God's own heart. How does that work? It was the, it's the human quality. Moses, the scripture says about Moses, there's none, none, no other prophet like Moses. But Moses, man, he got angry. Uh, he was a lot of times depressed and, 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 and beset by the murmuring of the people, arguing with God, why did you do this? And, and there's always Peter, Peter, I'm gonna, your faith is the kind of faith I'm gonna use to build my church. Really, Peter? The one with the big mouth, the one that always wanted to cut people down or whatever? Yeah. Because his heart was good. His life had issues, but his heart was good. So when we read about Abraham, I wanna just, Read a few scriptures from the New Testament, Romans 4, 11. It says that Abraham is the father of all believers. That we trace our lineage back to Abraham. It says in James 2, 23, Abraham is called the friend of God. It's the friend of God. Galatians 3, 29 says all Christians are a part or in the line of Abraham's seed. Yet I, I have to tell you, Abraham was not a perfect guy. He had a propensity to do two things. One, lie. And two, jump ahead of God. And this is who we emulate. So how does that work? You know, Genesis 12 and 20, uh, he lied on two occasions about who his wife was. He, he said, she's not my wife, she's my sister. Because he was trying to protect her from, from harm, from the Egyptians or the king. Well, the thing was, he was overstepping his ground, his, his bounds, and not trusting God to protect her. And in a sense, he was saying, what he was saying was true, because there was some family relation between the two of them, either through marriage, I think it was, but by saying she was my sister was not a whole lie, it was a half lie. <laughs> but it wasn't the truth. And what I'm saying is, that didn't limit him being used by God. I like that. Later on, we hear that well, Abraham and Sarah got this great message from the Lord that they were going to have a baby, and through their baby was going to come to the Messiah and all this good stuff. Well, nothing was happening. It wasn't happening. Didn't happen. So Sarah says, hey Abraham, see my, my main servant Hagar over here? Take her and have relations with her. We'll get the ball rolling, is what she's saying. Oh, and we're paying the price of that today. Through their son Ishmael, we're where the, the Islamic faith came. But he wasn't the legitimate heir of Abraham. It was Isaac that had to be born through Sarah. So anyway, we have this, this person that we that we go back to, you know, the father of our faith, you know, the seed of Abraham. But he had issues. But through his faith, the faith of Abraham, I, what I'm learning is, I, I can say, we can say, Lord God, I have sinned, but I believe that you have forgiven me and by your grace and mercy, I'm going to go forward and do the things that you've called me to do without being hung up about it. And this is what I'm learning. Psalm 32, if you, if you want a good psalm to read about forgiveness, read Psalm 32. Another one is Psalm 51. All about David's sin and forgiveness is wonderful. But Psalm 103, David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, right? He redeems my life from the pit. 
He crowns your life with loving kindness and tender mercies. As far as east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. So the faith of Abraham tells me it's a matter of the heart. If we do something wrong, something sinful, don't let it grab hold of your heart. Don't let it fester in your spirit. I always say this, you know, I've said this many times. Confess it and forget it. Amen. Confess it and forget it and move on with God. Satan will use it to bring discouragement and to bring confusion into your mind and your spirit. So I always go to the two bookends of repentance scriptures. One in the Old Testament, one in the New. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people, my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, Turn from their wicked ways. You know, repent and turn to me. I will hear it from heaven and heal their land. New Testament, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful just to forgive and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we can never say, you know, I'm not good enough. Or I've done this and this prevents me from that. So is the blood of Jesus real now? I, you know, when I first got saved, you, you probably had this experience too. Way back, I remember feeling so wonderful, forgiven and cleansed. But about a week later, I sinned again. I said, Lord, I thought, you know, and I realized, you know what? You come, you come to a place where you receive Christ. It's just the beginning. And the rest of our lives, we're working it out. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He also says, he who started a good work and he was faithful to complete it until that day. So we're on the, we're on the treadmill. We're on the potter's wheel, so to speak. And God is using situations in our lives to chip off that old man. But I learned from Abraham, I can't be bound by my history. I can't be bound by my failures. If I do that, man, I'm no good to anybody. I won't be a good pastor. I won't be a good father. I won't be a good husband. I won't be a good worker. I'll be, I'll be lost in my own confusion and my own depression. But if I get under the blood of Christ, and I really believe it and I live it, you know what, today's a new day. God's mercy is new for me this morning. So I can continue with God. So, okay. So the faith of Abraham allows us to continue. Now, now as Paul said in Romans, let me just throw this in just to clarify what do we say? Shall we sin all the more that grace may abound? No way! You don't sin more that grace would abound more. You get a handle on it and you trust God with it. But if you fail, you get back up and keep going for the Lord. The third aspect of this is that Abraham's faith really, really prompted him to do some great works for the kingdom of God. I mean, leaving his family was one thing. Leaving his country was one thing. Genesis 12.4. I want to turn to Genesis 22. Can you go there with me? Genesis 22, verses 2 and 3. Because this is a, a story in the Bible that a lot of people don't understand. So here it is. The Lord promised Abraham and Sarah, more elderly, a son. Well, they, they kind of broke that covenant and had a different son, and that, that didn't work. But eventually, Sarah did get pregnant. They didn't have a son. His name was Isaac. And he was he would be the one through which the Messiah would come down the walk down the road. But in twenty two and two, the Lord says to Abraham, Now take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah 
and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And God is saying to Abraham, I have blessed you with this boy, now I want you to sacrifice him and give him back to me. I want you to offer him as a living sacrifice. I want you to kill him. And Abraham is willing to do it. This is the mystery. Verse 5, they're going up to the mountain, and Abraham says to the guys he leaves behind, we'll be back down in a little bit. So, was Abraham going to kill the son? Or what was he going to do? Well, we read in Hebrews eleven nineteen that Abraham had faith to believe God for a resurrection. That even if he killed Isaac, God would resurrect him from the grave and they would come back down the mountain together. That's how we approached it. And the lesson is, whatever God gives us, we've got to be able to sacrifice it and give it back to Him. If there's no sacrifice involved, there's no blessing involved. And as he was ready to do this act, he raised the knife. He hears a ram in the thicket, right? A ram in the thicket. And then he realizes that will be the sacrifice. And the lamb or the goat or whatever the, the animal came, and that was sacrificed in place of his son Isaac. And in verse 14, uh, Abraham says, this place will be called uh, the Lord provides. And the Lord does provide. He provided the lamb of God. That, that is the perfect sacrifice for us. But the, the, the point is, Abraham, by faith, Abraham was prompted to do exceedingly wild good works for God, even sacrificing his son. He was willing to do that. I thought about this, and I, I want to go to James chapter 2 in a minute, but I thought about how, how big is the sacrifice? What kind of a sacrifice do we give to the Lord? I thought of my life and um, after about 10 or 12 years of serving the Lord, Pam and I both felt the call of God to be in the ministry. Well, I was living in a house that my great-grandfather purchased years ago. I was living in a house that I lived in when I was a little boy. I lived there until I was about 8, then we moved. And it's 30, I moved back into that house. My, my mother still owns that house. I had a nice ministry going when I was an assistant pastor. I can tell you this, I probably did. I drove a nice new church van. 15 passengers. Great stereo system. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I, people loved me. I wasn't the pastor, so they really loved me. You know, I was just, and, uh, but then I, I got a call from the district and they said, you know, we're looking for a pastor to come to Webster Mass. And I thought about it and prayed about it and, uh, you know, I prayed hard about it, actually. And I said, no. I even went up there, I think. I even went up there. Came back home and I, I told my pastor, I said, you know, I, we prayed about it and, and we decided that wasn't the place for us. So I go into the wonderful church van with AC. I go to my favorite deli. Can I tell you this? I order my favorite eggplant farm and a ginger ale. And a bag of pictures. I drive down to the marina in town where the boats, boats are, and I'm sitting there. I made a decision. I'm not going to go. 
both halves of damn record. But we're staying here. I sat there and ate my eggplant arm. I felt like a knife was going through my arm. <laughs> this is why you're standing here? <laughs> to eat your eggplant arm and drive the nice van and blah, blah, blah. Live in the house that your grandfather owned. And I wanted to cry. I'm telling you. So I went back and I told my pastor, I said, listen, I, I think I made a mistake. I, I gotta go. I gotta leave. I told Pam and man, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And I knew I had to leave. But I'll tell you what, leaving that place was one of the hardest things I ever did. I love that house. I love the neighborhood of that house. There were neighbors there from when I was five that were still there. Now I'm 30, you know. But I cried and I, and I, I really did cry. Literally, I cried real tears. I was in anguish. But that had to happen. It had to happen. Because without a sacrifice, without a price to pay, the ministry up here in Massachusetts would never be blessed. If it was too easy, it would never be blessed. I'm just saying, whatever God wants to do, there's always a cost involved. And what are you going to give up for God? What are you going to give up for God? Well then, you know, 14 years later, I'm in the same predicament, I hear Hamlet calling me. But Lord, I love it here in Webster. I love this house. I love this church. I love this... <laughs> you know, in Webster, I think it was Polish sausage. Yeah. Polish the same thing. I started to seek God. Same thing. I started to cry. Lord, I don't want to leave, but I think I have to leave. I'm in conflict. And again, a great price. Gave it all up. Left it all. Came up here to Abel. And here we are in Abel. What I'm saying is there's always got to be a price to pay. And what are we paying? What are we giving God? What are we showing Him with how much we want to serve Him? This is the question I constantly ask myself. What am I doing to demonstrate my love to God, my devotion to God? You know, in the very beginning of my walk with the Lord, I may share this with you. Uh, I was so convicted about music, because I, I was in, in bands and clubs before I got saved. And when I got saved, I wouldn't even listen to the secular radio. Every now and then I'd put something on just to kind of, and I would get so convicted on it. I know it wouldn't hurt me, because it was just music, it wasn't wasn't demonic music, it was just breaking the music, but I felt like out of respect for God who delivered me from the music scene, I've got to show him something. And I purposed in my heart not to listen to it anymore. And I didn't listen to secular music for all really well. Oh I can, without it without without it gripping my heart. But in the beginning it was hard. But what are you really willing to give up for God, you see? And we all have these great ideals, ideas of what we want to do, but what impression are we willing to pay to do it? So go with me over to James chapter 2. And this kind of puts it in, in the right perspective. James 2. <clears throat> James writes in uh, verse 14. James 2, 14. What does it profit, my brother, if, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? <clears throat> if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you, you don't give him the things that are needed, for the body, what good is it? Thus also, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Someone might say, well, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that there's one God? Well, that's good. You do well. Even demons believe in that, and they tremble. Do you not want, do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? 
So belief without doing something with it is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you not see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God. It was accounted him for righteousness, and he called he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So the faith of Abraham tells me that, you know what? You know, he was a heathen, saved by God, sent out to do a great work, and by faith he did great exploits for the kingdom of God. I believe we can do the same thing. I believe when we give, give the Lord 100%, he, He's looking for someone. He's looking for a people, right, that will go out and make a difference in this community. But what price will we pay? What will we give Him? So I want to leave you with this, these questions. What will you do, or what will we do, to prove our faith in the Lord Jesus? Well, you know what? Among other things, uh, we support the cafe, we do Hillstock, we do Serving Able. These are all acts works that we do, that demonstrate to the Lord that we're serious about what we do. We have a message that we believe changes lives, and so we're seeking the Lord how we're going to do all that. But how about feeding the poor, sharing the gospel, giving something away? How about just making the time to pray every day? How about making the time to memorize scripture? What about just making time to listen to someone uh, with their troubles and their worries and just give godly counsel to someone. What price will you pay to, to demonstrate to God that you belong to Him? So I, I would leave it like this. By, by faith, Abraham left home and followed God. He believed in God for a son. He trusted in a, a resurrection of that which he laid down as dead. So I, we need to be thinking, what, what can we lay down? And what will God resurrect in our midst? And Abraham became a father of all believers. What will be our legacy? What will be your legacy? We've spoken about the history of the church before. Great legacy here. You know, wonderful. But I don't want to be limited by what happened before. I don't want to be limited by what happened last year. I want God to do something new this year. This time. I want God to do something new in me and in you. I don't want to limit God based on our history. I don't want to limit God based on our failures. I want to go out and do great exploits for the kingdom of God. I want to go out of this world shouting and praising and doing business for God. Amen. I don't know about anybody else. That's my goal in life. I want to go out screaming for the Lord Jesus. So I would summarize it like this. Faith, the faith of Abraham encourages us to leave our history behind. To surrender our failures to God. And to do great and exciting new works for the kingdom of God. Hebrews 11.6, we'll close with the scripture. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let faith arise. We used to sing a song, let God arise, let our enemies be scattered, right? Let faith arise. Let our enemies be scattered. Let's stand together.